I'm now joined by Joanna Gallegos, co-founder of Bond Blocks, who currently offers 23 ETFs, about $2.5 billion in assets. That's been done in just two years, by the way. They actually celebrate their two-year anniversary next week. And as I mentioned at the top, Bond Blocks is unique in that they are singularly focused on the fixed income space. Simply put, bond ETFs are what they do. And uh, Joanna is now on the line with me from New York. Joanna, it's a, a pleasure to finally connect. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. Well, uh, first, again, congratulations on the uh, two-year anniversary and uh, really all of the success you've had thus far. Uh, I feel like you've clearly built out a very unique lineup of ETFs, which for listeners, that includes sector-specific high-yield bond ETFs, single-credit rating high-yield bond ETFs, target-duration U.S. Treasury bond ETFs, uh, there's an emerging market bond ETF, and uh, now investment-grade corporate bond ETFs, which just launched a, a couple of weeks ago, and we can certainly talk about those. But, uh, Joanna, for people unfamiliar with the bond block story, let's take a, a, a quick step back. I'd love to have you offer some background on the founding of the firm and the problem you were attempting to solve. Like, why focus solely on fixed income? Yeah, so BombBlox was founded in 2021, and BombBlox is a team of experts across fixed income ETFs. Um, our team actually launched the very first ETFs across um, iShares, Vanguard, and State Street. So we have a very connected history to fixed income ETFs. We know the product set really, really well. And one thing that um, we observed and, and why we came together as a company is Obviously, around 2021, we, we anticipated that the bull market in fixed income would eventually change, um, that rates would eventually go up. And once that happened, um, there would be a big structural shift in fixed income, and there would probably be a lot of different allocation going into fixed income portfolios um, that hadn't happened in a while. So we were anticipating that, we didn't, and we didn't realize it would happen so quickly in 2022 and 2023 so it was really an amazing time. You mentioned our anniversary. We launched on the day of the Ukraine war. So it was, you know, and we launched, you know, seven high-yield credit funds on that day. So we were right on time in a lot of ways, and it was it was pretty pretty remarkable ride. The problem that we saw in thinking that the that fixed income markets would change was that we didn't see that clients had products that were updated for these markets or even for the markets we, we thought would be coming. So, for example, um, you know, there's only 16% of all ETFs are fixed income. And there wasn't as much choice for investors to really tailor their portfolios in fixed income. And as you can see in the last two years, um, that made a big difference. If you were able to control duration better in your portfolio or reduce exposures to different sectors, or even take advantage of things that were going on in different ratings categories and fixed income, you would want to do that. But most of the products, and again, we're talking about people that actually launched the products I'm talking about, were broad in, in their exposures, and they could do better. And it, it didn't really reflect what was going on in fixed income portfolio management. So we wanted ETFs to better represent that. And that's what we're trying, that's what we will solve for advisors and fixed income investors. If you want to really position your portfolio to take advantage of, you know, our new world, which if you're old enough to remember, is not so new, it's pretty familiar, we have higher rates and more volatility, 
and you should be able to tailor your exposure to that. I'm glad you mentioned the term tailor portfolios because uh, every time I see bond blocks referenced, I see it associated with the term precision fixed income. And I, I think you did a good job of laying out the, the macro case. I'd love to have you talk in a little more detail about why you think that precision fixed income has resonated with investors. Because, look, as you've mentioned, you've been at BlackRock, right? You were a senior product manager, managing director of strategic initiatives with iShares, obviously the largest ETF issuer in the world. You've been involved with developing and launching a number of ETFs. And so you know firsthand just how tough the ETF business is. But, you know, we look, bond blocks is clearly striking a chord with investors. So I'd love to have you just expand on why you think that is. Well, I think it's resonating right now because you can see it. You know, it's, it's, it's something that markets have changed really fast, not only in the last two years for fixed income, but also in general for ETFs. You know, people go to ETFs so that they can get on exact exposures, and it's a really familiar thing for them to do in equities. You know, you can trade sector exposure, you can trade thematic exposure. Um, you know, as, we probably, as you probably are, are familiar in your, in your guests, um, are talk a lot about their products and, and your listeners understand like in, in equities, there's a million ways for you to just you know, get exact exposure and be able to respond to markets. In fixed income, that didn't exist because, as I mentioned before, a lot of the products hadn't been updated to be precise for things like duration and credit risk. Um, and there, there were so many events. If you kind of just go over 2023 and you look at like we all entered 2023, many people thought that rates would be coming down, so they positioned their portfolios in January for that. And then in March, we had some bank failures, which is a sector-driven risk. Um, and then if you go forward, even into the third quarter, you know, in summertime, people were putting on duration because they thought maybe, you know, rates would be coming down at the end of the year. Um, and that duration trade, that long duration trade that people put on in the summer really started in, in treasuries, really started to fail, and there was a lot of losses through the fourth quarter. So even a year like 2023 tells you what we mean by precision. You should be able to trade along the curve. Um, like in our treasury products, we have eight um, treasury products that target duration specifically from one year all the way up to 20 years. And so you should be able to move along that journey as you see things changing or to express your view and your conviction. Um, we, we're, today we're seeing people coming out of our short duration products, like one year and six months, and going into intermediate duration, um, like even just, even just inching out to two-year or five-year or ten-year. Um, and so I think that that's what precision means. It's being able to be responsive to these markets, and you need more tools that do that. You mentioned the term trade, and you said move along the curve. And when I look at the Bond Blocks ETF lineup, what's interesting is that all of your ETFs except for one are technically passive. The one that isn't is a uh, high-yield bond sector rotation ETF. But it's interesting because, yes, these are passive ETFs, but it, it it seems like they're they're used in a much more active manner. Do you, do you think that's a fair characterization of, of how your lineup is uh, is used by investors? Um, I think so. I, again, I try to try to normalize it to what people have been doing in equities for a long time. I think that you know um, most investors need to familiarize themselves again with fixed income and the dynamics that um, underlie the market. 
But yeah, they, we actually their their original origin story is they are built for institutional investors. They are built for investors that have a view, and they can take you know again if you think of it as a more precise exposure or you think of it as active, that's fine. I think the truth is like we would say that they're responsive um, and they are exposures, and so anybody that's building an ETF portfolio and is tilting into a sector exposure or a credit rating exposure or um, or even on the equity side, again, I'm trying to just connect the two, or you, you overweight technology if you want. Um, it's, it is an active decision um, by using, you know, these exposures as building blocks to express your view. Um, the other thing to connect as is, is well is in fixed income, um, most management is active. Um, it is a different market. It, it does function differently. And so, you know, I think we're trying to also provide some of the, I guess, the, the secret sauce that um, professional managers use in fixed income broken down in our products. So, for example, um, there's ways to improve performance versus benchmarks that all active managers use. And, and, and those tools and levers are things like um, credit, and also um, credit ratings, and that was sort of the inspiration for our Triple B uh, corporate products. It's a very well-known space for managers to, you know, invest in Triple B corporate debt because it doesn't have any incremental default risk for the category, but it has higher yields and a higher total return potential, and it's sort of a simple thing to do. And why not give that exposure directly to advisors themselves so that they can sort of you know, match some of the things that, like, you would call active, but are really just tools. Yeah, and for listeners, those triple uh, B rated corporate bond ETFs that just launched a couple of weeks ago, there, there are three of them. There are the, uh, the the one to five year corporate bond ETF ticker BBBS. There's a five to ten year version BBBI, and a uh, ten plus year version BBBL. Um, Joanna, uh, in, in terms of some other specific products, I show your top two ETFs by assets are uh, two that you were alluding to earlier. XHLF, which is the Bond Blocks Bloomberg six-month target duration U.S. Treasury ETF, and then X1, X-O-N-E, which is the uh, one-year target duration version. And really, if you look, all of the Bond Blocks target duration Treasury ETFs are doing pretty well in terms of investor interest. There are eight of those in, in all. But, you know, going back to what you were talking about on, on precise exposure and, you know, moving up and down the, the Treasury yield curve, I, I'd love to have you comment on those products specifically, just because, again, they are at the uh, the top of your lineup in terms of assets. Yeah, those those are that's a great um, product line. It has so many different use cases, and it helped investors a lot last year. So let's take the first one, the easy one, um, is just elevated yields, higher yields. I mean, we were at historic um, yields. Uh, in the markets right now. So last year, the way people used that product set was specifically to get exposure to the shortest duration, and you mentioned X half and X one, and so you saw, you know, with yields, you know, sometimes topping over five percent in that in that category of the curve, you know, people were using it to move their assets into something that's higher yielding with no risk. But then, um, because these are very specific duration, um, you can really manage your interest rate exposure there. What they do is we go, you know, as I mentioned, all the way from six months to 20 years. If you have a view and you want to move out in the curve because you think maybe the economy is improving or, or we're, at the peak, um, uh, we're at the peak for rates with the Fed and you think that rates are going to be coming down, you may want to add duration. So people have been moving out 
on them. You know, year by year, we saw movement in um, the seven year in the fourth quarter, <laughs> um, and in um, in this in this last this first month or so, we're seeing people move into the ten. And so they're they're really be they're really intended to be used interchangeably. We didn't launch one product; we launched eight products. Um, right now, our view is that you know the economy is continuing to show resiliency and a lot of improving economic um, um, factors. Like you know, we have a strong GDP, we have strong consumer spending, and employment figures continue to to surprise to the upside for everybody. So if there's a lot of resilient resiliency in the economy. You know, we, we think right now you may want to be overweight in the intermediate um, part of the curve in U.S. Treasuries because you may be able to capture, you know, returns that would um, uh, be positive if the Fed did move maybe in the middle of the year of 2024 towards, you know, uh, reducing rates. Like, that's possibly a place where you want to play in, in that space. So I think that product set has so many different use cases that helped investors a lot last year just to do the simple trade of getting into higher yields, but I think it also has a lot of power as we kind of get to possibly peak rates and we see what's next for 2024 with rates. Yeah, I thought it was interesting last week just looking at uh, the Fed's actions and, and some of the comments there. I don't think it was a huge surprise, but it, it obviously looks like the Fed may not be quite as aggressive in cutting rates as perhaps yeah. some market participants expected, right? A- any additional thoughts around that? I'm not big into market prognostications. You know, at the end of the day, no, nobody knows for sure. But any, any additional thoughts on the Fed? Yeah, we don't try to we don't try to to, to fight the Fed or, or, or make calls on on the Fed action either. But what we do, what we have been really positive on is that you know this structural change in rates that happens so fast is so supportive for all um, segments of fixed income, and in particular, credit. So you have higher yields in the credit space, both in investment grade and in high yield. And so we actually recommend that you should increase your allocation to things in credit, like the triple B space I mentioned, because for no incremental default risk, you're getting higher yields and a higher total return um, uh, potential. And single B in high yield, and even triple C um, in high yield. You know, last year, high yield was the best performing segment in fixed income. And the reason it was, was despite volatility, it was supported by really high um, coupons. And so that's, that's how bonds work. It's just we haven't been able to see that for a couple decades because rates were at zero and you didn't have the coupons supporting, you know, the volatility that was in the market. So we're really, as we said, put a positive that, you know, as we get to the end of this cycle, and, you, you know, the resiliency continues, and the fundamentals of these companies are weathering um, a lot of these increased rates well, that those spaces are things that you should be shifting some allocation to. Um, we we don't think, uh, in our view, that the Fed is, is going to be um, uh, moving on rates very soon, um, definitely not within the first half of the year. But eventually, they may, they may, and um, we think that the fundamentals of the companies are still going to support um, the ability for those, those coupons to stay high and for volatility to be relatively low, um, given other credit cycles. In terms of shifting um, an allocation towards credit, and let's go further down the, uh, the credit spectrum, Let, let's just assume junk here. Can you talk more about credit risk? Because to your point, you, you look at the economy, 
Things look pretty good overall. As you noted, yields are still very attractive in that space. But obviously, there's a camp of investors who I think believes a recession could be on the horizon or at least a a meaningful slowdown. So so how do you think about credit risk right now in a portfolio? And I'll, I'll add to that. I know some advisors and some investors will look at the junk bond space and view it much more uh, like like an equity-type mm-hmm. risk. Is that how you view it? Well, I think we, we do think that, you know, it's different in this credit cycle than it has been in others. There's, we don't see any concentration um, risk of over-issuance in any industry, for example. Um, we, we There's the Brazilian economy. We think that a lot of these companies were refinanced their debt, and so their debt is really manageable. They refinanced it pre-pandemic um, or during the pandemic, so they have they have an ability to weather the storm. Um, so that's 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 our view. Um, the other thing is that the default rates in these categories, if you go into high yield in double B, single B, and triple C, aren't meaningfully ticking up than their normal averages, um, which sort of reflects what I said before. So there, there is a reason to, to consider that, um, that these spaces, especially maybe, um, single B, might be a way for you to not, it's not a, something, it's something you want to tilt your portfolio to, not necessarily invest completely as a core. Um, but you may want to add some extra exposure there, um, in, in, in sort of, uh, lower rated credit, uh, for sure, because you could capture higher income and, and total return because the market's so resilient. Um, the other thing is if, if that isn't appealing to you, that's where we kind of go back to that triple B space that we just launched in investment grade and that, you know, where I think people are taking their next steps is like I'm in treasuries. It has no risk and has high yields right now. We recommend that people consider credit and move into credit given, as I keep mentioning, the resiliency of the economy and, and what we keep seeing in terms of strength of earnings and everything that's coming out. But, what people would maybe think to do is to go to high-quality credit. And so high-quality credit is generally, you know, you would go to investment grade. There's just a sweet spot investment grade that we want to point out to people, and that's the triple Bs. Um, it's it's the space where, you know, again, if we're not taking on any additional risk because you don't want a lot of credit risk um, versus high yield, you can you can get a, a pickup of um, ink total return potential and also yield. So I think there's just, so many interesting ways, given the backtrack of fundamental strength across companies right now, that you could be investing in credit. And that's why we cut it up the way we did. You could do ratings. You could do certain sectors. You could do um, investment grade, or you can do high yield. And we think that's the important thing to take away is, you know, understanding that you have a lot of choice and ability to tilt and, and take on some exposure so you don't miss out on, um, on these markets. Joanna, just about a minute left here in terms of slicing and dicing the uh, the fixed income space. I know you're not going to give me a specific answer here, but I have to ask you, um, can you talk at all about what bond blocks might be uh, cooking up for future ETF launches? Or are we just going to have to wait and, uh, and be surprised? Well, there's one thing I can definitely tell you. We have a product registered right now, um, so that's, that's public. I mean, we're going to keep going into some of the underserved parts of fixed income and improving products that are um, out there and updating spaces that are out there, which is the vague answer that, you know, that I would give you. But, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, spaces and in income. We have a, um, as you mentioned, we have an active fund. Um, we were working with some sub-advisors at Macquarie Asset Management, and now we're working with a sub-advisor at um, Income Research and Management to deliver a really compelling after-tax um, product 
uh, in the uni space. And so, you know, I think that you'll see more um, more asset classes and more sectors in fixed income from us. Um, we're really excited about completing our credit space with now having investment grade and the treasury suite. Um, so, you know, more to come in just every every kind of space that we think has been under, underserved. And, and remember, like, it was a little bit of a dearth of product development and fixed income for about 10 or 15 years, so we have a lot to do. Well, Joanna, again, so glad we could finally connect. Really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Nate. That was Joanna Gallegos, co-founder of BondBlocks.